Microsoft Story Classic, bringing to you recordings of old storybooks. The Thorn in the Nest, Episode 27 The sun had not yet risen, and few of the townspeople were astir when Kenneth and his faithful Zeb set forth upon their journey. They rode slowly through the almost deserted streets, Dr. Clendenin in seemingly absent mood, quiet and thoughtful, even to sadness, the servant glancing briskly from side to side with a nod and grin for each visible acquaintance with whom he felt himself upon terms of something like equality. Goodbye, Tig. Dis here, off for Glen Forest, he shouted as they passed the majors. Tig, who was cutting wood in the kitchen dooryard, dropped his axe to gaze after them in wondering incredulity. Oh, you go long with Yotum, he muttered as he stooped to pick it up again. Tain't no such ting, and the doctor ain't never going so far tout saying goodbye to our folks. And Miss Snell, she's away where he can't get at her. Spect I knows who's powerful fond of her, and who thinks he's mighty sight nicer'n any old Britisher. They were early risers at the Majors, and Mrs. Lamar, having retired the previous night, several hours before her usual time, had slept off her fatigue and found herself ready to begin the day earlier than was her wont. From her chamber window, she too saw Kenneth and his attendant ride by. Why, there goes Ken Dr. Clennanan, equipped as for a journey, valet, saddlebags, and servant, she exclaimed, addressing her husband, who was still in bed. Yes, he's off for Pennsylvania. For Pennsylvania? It's very sudden, isn't it? Yes, he had bad news last night. Sickness in the family, I believe, that hurried him off in a great haste. He called to bid us goodbye, but found no one but me. But you will be more surprised to hear that Littleton left town last night in obedience to a summons for, from England. He, too, called and left his audios for you and Nell. Mrs. Lamar faced round upon the Major a face full of astonishment, not wholly unmixed with disappointment and vexation. Gone, she cried, actually gone for good. I must say, Piercy, that I am completely out of patience with Nell. With Nell? Pray, what has she to do with it? She has rejected him. I suspected it before. Now I am sure of it. News from England, indeed. And she turned away with a contemptuous sniff. Possibly you are correct in your conjecture, the Major remarked, recovering from the surprise her words had given him. But if she has rejected Littleton, she had a purpose. And I am inclined neither to blame her nor to regret her action. Why, it would have been a splendid match, Piercy, and such a chance that she is not likely to see again. Not in my opinion. He seems to be wealthy, but I do not admire his character. And it would have robbed me of my little sister, taking her so far away that I could hardly hope to see her again in this world. I should far rather see her the wife of Clendenin. I gave that up long ago, returned his wife in an impatient tone as she hastily left the room. I believe something has gone wrong between them. I wonder what it can be, soliloquized the Major while making his toilet 
and at the same time taking a mental retrospect of such uh, of the interviews of Nell and Dr. Clennon as had come under his notice. But having no proclivity for matchmaking and no desire to be relieved of the support of his young sister, whose presence in his family he greatly enjoyed, he shortly dismissed the subject from his thoughts. Not so with Kenneth. As he passed the house, he involuntarily glanced toward the window of her room, half expecting to catch a glimpse of the face dearest and loveliest to him of all on earth, then turned away with an inward sigh, remembering sadly that each step forward was taking him farther away from her. Very much cast down, he was for a time having had in hand story to Zeb that Clennanen was but going away temporarily for the purpose of making suitable preparations for his approaching nuptials, what seemed confirmation strong of the truth of Littleton's assertion that he was Nell's accepted suitor. But ere long he was able to stay himself upon his God, and casting all care for himself and those dearer than self upon that almighty friend, resumed his accustomed cheerfulness, and presently woke the echoes of the forest with a song of praise. Zeb, riding a few paces behind, joining in with a hearty goodwill. They had left Chillicothe far in the rear, and the nearest human habitation was miles away. They made a long day's journey, and by Vocked that night under a clump of trees on the edge of a prairie, and beside a little stream of clear, dancing water. It was Clendenin's intention to be early in the saddle again, and great was his disappointment on the following morning to find Romeo so lame that a day's rest just where they were was an imperative necessity. It was a strange and perplexing dispensation of providence, yet recognizing it as such, he resolutely put aside the first feeling of impatience, as he remembered how sorely he was needed at Glen Forest, how the dear ones would be looking and longing for his coming. There must be some good reason for this apparently unfortunate detention, so he submitted to it with resignation and passed the day not unpleasantly or unprofitably in reading. It was his habit to carry a pocket volume with him while traveling or wandering through the adjacent wood. They were able to move on the next day, but only slowly. As the horse had not fully recovered, and while halting for an hour's rest at noon, they were to their great delight overtaken by the other party from Chillicothe. It consisted of three merchants, Messrs. Gray, Collins, and Jones, and a stalwart backwoodsman and hunter, Tom Johnson, by name. They also were much pleased at the meeting, which they had desired but hardly hoped for, though they had set out a day earlier than had been expected. The merchants hastening their preparations when they found that by so doing they would secure the company of the hunter, who for fearlessness, strength, and skill in the use of firearms was a host in himself. Each merchant carried his money in his saddlebags, and the whole party were well armed. Greeting Clendenin with a glad, Hallo! They hastily dismounted, secured their horses, and joined him, producing from their saddlebags such store of choice provisions as made Zeb's eyes dance with delight. For the lad was in his way quite an epicure. Doctor, he exclaimed, showing a double row of white and even teeth, I specs we needn't be afraid no robbers now. Gimme Jesse if day come round us. Best not to be too jubilant, Zeb, said Clinton. You and I may have to fall behind because of Romeo's lameness. 
No, no, never fear, said the others. We are not going to forsake you, Doc. Now that we have joined company, they did not linger long over their meal and were soon in the saddle again, riding sometimes two abreast, at others in single file, but always near enough for exchange of talk. Kenneth bore his own burden bravely, was quite his usual cheerful, genial self, and no one suspected what a load of sorrow and anxiety was pressing upon him. They journeyed on without mishap or adventure, and late in the afternoon came to a two-story log dwelling standing a little back from the road, or rather trail, for it was nothing more. There was nothing attractive about the aspect of the house or its surroundings, but the sun was near his setting. The next human habitation was in all probability ten or fifteen miles further on, and the way to it lay through a dense forest, where doubtless panthers, bears, and wolves abounded. A moment's consultation led to the decision that they would pass the night here if they could get lodging in the house. An elderly woman of slatternly appearance, hair unkept, clothing torn and soiled, had come to the door. What's wanted? she asked in a harsh voice. Shelter for the night for men and beasts, returned Clennanan, who had been unanimously chosen leader of the party. Well, I don't know about it. I haven't no man about. But if you'll tend to your beasts yourselves, you can stay. They agreed to the conditions. She pointed out the stable, and they led their horses thither, curried and fed them, remarking to each other, meanwhile, that they did not like the look woman's looks. She had a bad countenance. She had gone back into the house, and as she moved here and there about her work, muttered discontentedly to herself, There's too many, O.M. Bill. He won't like it. But I wonder if the right one's among him. Wish I knowed. Hearing their voices outside again, she stepped to the door. You'll be a want supper, won't ye? Yes, let us have it as soon as you can, for we're tired and hungry. She mount put some poison dandy, widow doctor, don't you think? whispered Zeb, close at Kenneth's ear and shuddering as he spoke. If you think so, it might be as well to watch her, was the quite half-amused answer. Dad, I will, son, and Zeb bustled in and sat himself down between the table and the wide chimney, where he could have a full view of all the preparations for the coming meal. The woman scowled at him and broadly hinted that he was in the way, but Zeb was obtuse and would not take a hint. He watched her narrowly as she mixed cornbread and put it to bake. As she made the rye coffee and fried the ham and eggs, it would have been impossible for her to put a single ingredient into any of these without his knowledge. Nor did he relax his scrutiny until he had eaten his own supper after seeing the gentleman safely through theirs. She might put something into de cups when she pours de coffee, he had said to himself. It did not escape him that she listened with a sort of concealed eagerness to every word that was said by her guests and that she started slightly and looked earnestly at Dr. Clendenin the first time he was addressed by name in her hearing. "'What shall we call you, mother?' asked the hunter, lighting his pipe at her fire for an after-supper smoke. "'Tain't particular. You can just call me that if you like,' she returned dryly. "'You don't live here alone,' he remarked, glancing at a coat hanging on the wall. "'Where's your man now?' "'Off a-hunting. Where's your woman?' "'Don't know. Hain't found her yet.' He laughed, taking the pipe between his lips and sauntering to the door, outside of which his companions were grouped. 
The air there was slightly damp and chill, but far preferable to that within, which re reeked with a mixture of smells of stale tobacco, garlic, boiled cabbage, and filth combined. It was growing dark. The woman lighted a candle and set it on the table, muttering half aloud as Zeb rose and pushed back his chair. I'm glad you're done at last. Then she bustled her about, putting the food away and washing her dishes. Johnson finished his pipe and proposed retiring to bed, as they wanted to make an early start in the morning. A general scent was given, and the woman was asked to show them where they were to sleep. She vouchsafed no answer in words, but taking from the mantel a saucer filled with grease in which a bit of rag was floating, she set it on the table, lighted one end of the rag, picked up the candle, and motioning them to follow her, ascended a stepladder to the story above, letting fall drops of melted tallow here and there as she went. Reaching the top of the ladder, they found themselves in an outer room that had the appearance of being used as a depository for every sort of rubbish. Crossing this, their conductress opened a door leading to, into a smaller apartment, communicating by an inner door with still another. There was a bed in each and a few other articles of furniture, all of the roughest kind, dirty and untidy in the extreme. The rooms were by no means inviting to our travelers, but it was Hobson's choice, and they found no fault to the hostess. You white folks can sleep in them two beds, she said with a wave of her hand toward first one and the other, and um, he can lop down outside on them horse blankets if he likes, and setting the candle down on top of a chest of drawers, she stalked away without another word. Doctor, and all you gentlemen, please, sirs, let me stay in here, you pleaded Zeb in an undertone of a fright. Dat woman, she look at me downstairs, see if she like to stick dat carving knife right through me. No one answered the, at the moment they were all sending suspicious glances about the two rooms, and Zeb quietly closed and secured the door. Keemet just let a he he yeah, he cried in an excited whisper and pointing with his finger. What is it? they asked, turning to look. Zeb sprang for the candle and bringing it close showed a small hole in the door. A bullet hole, sure as you live, exclaimed Gray, who was nearest and exactly opposite the bed added Jones, stepping to it, and beginning to throw back the covers. In an instant, they were all at his side, and there was a universal, half-suppressed exclamation of horror and dismay, as a hard straw mattress, much stained with blood, was exposed to their view by the flickering light of the candle, which Zeb, in his intense excitement, had nearly dropped. They looked at those tell-tale stains, and then into each other's faces, a trifle pale at first. Most of them were, but calm and courageous. Cleninan was the first to speak. We have evidently fallen into a den of thieves and murderers, but by the help of the Lord we shall escape their snares. Yes, we'll trust in God, boys, said Gray, and heaven send us a more peaceful end than some poor wretches found added Collins, pointing with a sympathetic sigh to the gory evidences. We must keep a sharp lookout, for we may depend that that hunter will return to his wife's embraces afore morning, remarked Johnson grimly. They at once set about making a thorough examination of the rooms, but found nothing more to arouse uneasiness except the fact that the window of one opened out upon a roof of a shed by means of which it was easily accessible from the ground. 
Then their plans were quickly laid. They would all occupy that one room and take turns in watching, two at a time, thus giving to each about two-thirds of the night for rest and sleep. These preparations completed, Gray turned to Kenneth, saying softly, Doc, we seem pretty well able to defend ourselves in case of attack, but it wouldn't hurt to ask help from, from God. No, said Kenneth, kneeling down, the others doing the same. Then, in a few appropriate, low-breathed words, he asked his father to have them in his kind care and keeping, and if it was his will, grant them safety without the shedding of blood. Thank you for listening to another episode of Acresoft Story Classic. <laughs>